It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Esther Perel. The story was recorded in May 2013 at the Bell House in Brooklyn as part of our three-year anniversary. I uh, get a phone call from uh, Ingelberg Böhringen, which is a German pharmaceutical company, and they're asking if I would be willing to have lunch with them because they want to discuss with me flibanserin. Flibanserin is the female Viagra. It's the medication that actually did not pass the FDA test last year, but was supposed to give women renewed desire for sex. And, uh, and I have to decide if I want to endorse this medication and uh, where I stand on the matter. And I'm thinking, how did I get to have lunch paid by a pharmaceutical that wants me to decide if I think a good pill, which by the way, it's not a pill you take once an hour before, it's a pill you have to take all the time, and all it does is make you want to have sex one time more per week, but more importantly, What's more important even about that is that 41% of the women on the medication respond to the placebo. So, you know, (laughs) if you just think that when you put your mind to want to experience a better sexuality, that in itself improves it dramatically, why would you want to pop a pill every day? But then I began to think, so how did I receive that phone call? Because my mother would be totally shocked to think that I am a consultant to sexuality. You know, sexuality entered my life like a fluke. I, um, <laughs> that's said with a real American accent, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, But I um, wasn't always that hip in my subject matter. I had been working for almost 20 years as a cross-cultural psychologist, and I was interested in interracial, interreligious, intercultural families. And uh, I I reached a point pretty much where um, I did a workshop, I remember, at the 92nd Street Y one day, and somebody was about to speak, and I knew before he opened his mouth what he was going to say, and I understood that once you have no curiosity left, it's time to leave the topic. So I decided that it was uh, a good time for me to take a break from all of that, and, uh, and that some inspiration would come, that some subject would arrive, you know? And um, I was rescued by President Clinton. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, some of you may be too young to remember, but it's one, a few scandals back, you know, there was a story called Lewinsky and Clinton scandal, 
And the reason it interested me as a cross-cultural psychologist was that, you know, this country was very tolerant about multiple divorces and very intransigent about infidelity. And I was very curious about that because the rest of the world, especially when it's more family-oriented, has always opted the other way around. And so by that time, I went to a conference, and um, I think it was actually the first conference I had gone to in quite a few years. My younger one was five years old at the time. And this was, I remember very clearly, it was one of those first times when I read a book, and when I reached the end, I could remember the beginning. So my mind was beginning to work again, and I go to this conference, and the, the guy who runs the conference says to me, so what are you thinking about these days? Do you want to write something? And I blurt out, I am thinking about Americans and sex. You know, what is the matter in this country? I mean, this place has some strange ideas, and I start to rattle down, you know, 24 years of my thinking about what I think is um, strange, to, not, to use a kind of neutral word about American sexuality. And um, I then start to write this article, and I did 11 versions of it. It took me a whole year to put together because I said to him, you know, I can do a great dinner conversation about this, but I'm not sure I can really, you know, produce an article as to what my thinking is. And from a perspective of a European therapist who observes American sexuality and particularly how Americans deal with the issue of desire, hence flibanserin, you know. So I, um, I begin to write this piece, and it culminates into an article that at the time I had called In Search of Erotic Intelligence. And Erotic Intelligence was the title that my husband had given me because it was a spoof on Goleman. You know, we have moral intelligence, social intelligence, emotional intelligence. It says EQ. You know, it's short, and everybody will know what it means. Would you have known what it means? No, because I had no idea that this would become a term I would later have to give talks about and define, you know, erotic intelligence. So this evolves, and I start to ask myself a bunch of very scientific questions. My science is social science, you know? But the questions I'm asking is this. Why does good sex so often fade, even when people continue to love each other as much as ever? Why does good intimacy not guarantee good sex, contrary to what we keep being told left and right? Can you want what you already have? Um, why is the forbidden so erotic? Why does sex make babies and babies spell erotic disaster in couples? <laughs> you know, when you love, how does it feel? And when you desire, how is it different? One of the premises in my field goes like this. All sexual problems are the conclusion or the consequence of relationship problems. Therefore, you have to fix the relationship, and when you do so, the sex will follow. Therefore, there are no sexual problems because all sexual problems are relationship problems. Therefore, all couples therapy books can conveniently never talk about sex. Now, that's a scientific premise for you, you know. And I am a rebel, and I don't like ideas that kind of are presented and as if they are truths when they are just assumptions, and they suit the therapist often much more than the client. And I began to chop away at every single one of these assumptions. And um, I wrote this for two years. I can tell you people, when you are at a party and you tell people that you are working in physics, most of the time they walk away from you. But if you are at a party and you say that you are writing about sexuality, you will get an earful. I can get a six-hour flight transatlantic with people telling me their sexuality. 
in every detail, you know, men overrepresenting, women underrepresenting, and most of them probably lying half the way through. <laughs> you know, if there's a topic people don't tell you the truth about, it's that one, but they will talk about it, you know. And I could ask every question that I wanted. So I became very hip in that sense, you see. It's a subject that, that intrigues people. And then I began to decide that I wanted to do something more serious with that. And that was, I would like to create a conversation about this subject. In the same way that we are trying to create a conversation about science that is, that is reachable, I wanted to create a conversation about sex that wouldn't be either smut or sanctimony, either condemnation or titillation. There is probably no better porn document than the Star Report if you remember. I mean, you can get very turned on by reading people chasing others that they're condemning. It's kind of a, a real logic to that, you know. But I wanted sexuality to not always appear either on the lifestyle page or on the health page, you know. And I didn't want to talk about the science of sex. I didn't want to talk about the medicalization of sex. I don't want to talk about the per perfect performance industry. I wanted to talk about eroticism, about the poetics of sex, about what gives people a sense of aliveness, of playfulness, of mystery, of curiosity. Actually, lots of stuff that we could use also when we talk about science. When you lose curiosity, you lose touch with the erotic. And so then, I went back to thinking, you know, in preparation for my next lunch um, with the, the Flibanserin people, and I thought, look, I'm not going to answer this question, will I endorse or will I not endorse, but I will find some way to tell them what I really think. And so I said to them, look, here's my thing. I can see a woman in my office who is completely complaining about a numbness, a lack of sexual interest, no desire, a complete apathy, no fantasy, nothing. And then I can see another woman who is in the thralls of a passionate affair where she's experiencing something she's never felt in her life. And you know what? It's the same woman six months later. So give a woman a new partner and she probably won't need a pill. Thank you. That was Esther Perel. Psychologist Esther Perel is recognized as one of the world's most original and insightful voices on couples and sexuality across cultures. Fluent in nine languages, the Belgian native is a celebrated speaker sought around the globe for her expertise in emotional and erotic intelligence, work-life balance, cross-cultural relations, conflict resolution, and identity of modern marriage and family. Her best-selling and award-winning book, Mating in Captivity, Reconciling the Erotic and the Domestic, has been translated into 24 languages. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. We have shows June 4th in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and June 18th in Manhattan. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel Shapiro. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to The Bell House for hosting the show, and to Note Cards for helping to organize thoughts. Thanks for listening.
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save 